Well, we welcome you to Bible class today and especially welcome our listening audience on KFUO as we begin a new study today, the study of Colossians. But first of all, I want to pause to just remember a moment. One of the faithful members of this class who was here every week was Reverend Dr. Paul Walter. And he was a biblical scholar of his own right. He always asked great questions, sometimes with a little maliciousness. Stir things up, but it was fun, and we will miss him. So please keep Sue and his family in your prayers. All right, Colossians. To the city of Colossae. Now, where's Colossae? Colossae is about a hundred miles east, south, southeast of Ephesus. Okay. We're talking in the area that is now Turkey. Interesting to note about this book there are no Old Testament quotes anywhere in the book of Colossians. There is nothing from the Old Testament cited. Now, there's been speculation about that. And some of the speculation is this. First of all, Gentiles would know nothing of the Old Testament. So to quote it would not mean much to them. Second of all, if there were Jews there, anytime you quote in an Old Testament passage, they might question you and misuse the way you quoted it. But that's just a few of the speculation. But just to tell you, we're not going to run across any Old Testament quotation. Now, Colossians is one of what we call four prison letters. In other words, within the letter, Paul tells us that he is in prison when he wrote them. The four prison letters are Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, and Colossians. So the question becomes, which imprisonment did he write that? Now, we know of two times when Paul was imprisoned for a significant length of time. The first one was in Caesarea, and the other was in Rome. Now, there's always been attempts to try to figure out which one. Or were they from different, some from Caesarea, some from Rome? The general feeling about Colossians is, since it's on the other side of the world, Caesarea is way over here, that most likely Paul wrote this when he was in Rome. Because when he was in Rome, he had a good deal of freedom. He was under house arrest, but he could receive visitors. 
and he could send people out as his emissaries. And so this would afford him the capability of receiving people from these regions, hearing what was going on, and then sending others to send letters back. So the general feeling is Colossians was written in Rome when he was imprisoned in Rome. And that would be about 60, 61 A.D. 60, 61 A.D. He had never been to Colossae. He personally had never been there. But there's an interesting verse I'll read to you from Acts chapter 19. And it's written while Paul is there in, in Ephesus, because you see, he was in Ephesus three years. He ministered there for three years. And then it says, See, right. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of God, both Jews and Greeks. Now, of course, that's hyperbole, all the residents of Asia, but it means that the word spread past Ephesus to surrounding areas. We believe that those in Colossae had heard the word, but we can be even more specific. Let's look into Colossians and look at a couple of passages. Look at Colossians 1, 7 and 8. And it says there, just as you learned it. Now he's speaking to those in Colossae, just as you learned it. From Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Okay. Now skip over to chapter 4. And he is mentioned again. 4 verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. All right. Now, let me try to tie this together. There were three churches that were formed that are mentioned in the New Testament very near Colossae. Colossae was one. The other one was Laodicea. And the other one was Heropolis. These three churches were close together, but Paul had not been there. It's interesting to note that as we read Colossians, 
we will hear that Paul tells them to share their letter to Colossae with those in Laodicea. And the letter to Laodicea to Colossae. Paul wrote a letter to Laodicea. And they were to exchange letters. We do not have the letter to Laodicea. Unless. So what happens is we have this letter that is referred to and we don't think we have it. Maybe. This is another one of those stories that's too good not to be true. The letter to the Laodiceans might be the book of Ephesus. Ephesians. Okay. Might be. Can't say for sure. Might be. We don't know. We don't know. But it's fun to speculate. But we do know this. We're pretty sure of this. Epaphras was a fellow servant with the Apostle Paul. The way he speaks of him, that he, they have come to know the gospel through him, that he is constantly praying for them, we believe that Epaphras is the one who founded the churches in Colossae, Laodicea, and Heropoli. And that he took Paul's letters back to them, and he is the first one to come to Paul and is the reason that Paul wrote to them in the first place. So, Epaphras. All right. Now, the letters of Ephesus, Colossians, and Philemon are very closely related. We find in the letter to Colossae and the letter to Philemon, there are common names referred to, such as Philemon, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Luke, Demas. All those names are listed in both books. Both books. The thing that's very similar about Colossians with Ephesians is the content. There are things that you read in both and you think they're just the same paragraph he pulled out of one and put in the other. In fact, I'll tell you this, when I was at the seminary, you didn't just take a, a uh, course on Ephesians. It was always Ephesians and Colossians. They're together because they're so closely related. So you took both. Now, why did he write the letter? That's a, a, a good question. So I'm going I'm to go through this. It's going to be a little oversimplified, but I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. There was 
some false teaching going on in this area. Only it wasn't the false teaching that Paul had dealt with before. That false teaching was the Judaizers who were coming and telling people they had to keep the law, they had to become Jews before they could be Christians, they had to be circumcised, all that. That's not what's going on in Colossae. Again, look at a couple of pa uh, passages here in Colossians 2. And I'll just read these to you. We'll get to them. But this is an example. Example, Colossians 2.4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And then in number 8, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So what would this philosophy be? Well, many people simply say it's Gnosticism. But Gnosticism did not come into its full form and really be filled out as a philosophy until the second, third century. But we believe the roots of it may have begun at this time. So I'm going to explain to you the very basics of Gnosticism. Okay? And it's, it is a philosophy. That's what Paul calls it. Gnosticism says that God is pure spirit. And that from God, a number of emanations came forth. Don't ask me to define emanation. These emanations came forth, and with each additional emanation, it got farther and farther and farther away from God. So by the time you get to the last emanation, it's called the Demiurge. I mean, you know, you could figure this out after a couple of drinks in a dark room. So the Demiurge tried to set up a material world that would be perfect, material like God, spirit. He failed. This emanation failed. So the material world is considered totally evil. Spirit, God, good, material world, everything in it, evil. So to be rescued from the material world or to be saved is to find a way to get closer to God again. Therefore, you need a rescuer or a savior. Now, the emanations 
are referred to as eons, thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. We've heard that kind of thing. But salvation is to escape from the material world to get to God. Spiritual. Ultimately, Gnosticism says that's Jesus Christ. But that's where the problems begin. Because the material world is evil. Therefore, he cannot have a human body. He cannot be incarnate, born of the Virgin Mary. So it's a problem right out of the gate. The origins of him, that he's some kind of phantom that looks like he has a body, but he doesn't. And it just gets worse and worse. So that Christ is not who truly what Christ, who Christ is. Okay. And so they deny the, they deny the incarnation. They also deny that he's God. They deny that he's the deity. He's just kind of this phantom that's going to help you get back to God. Now, that's full-blown Gnosticism. We don't know. It, it's in its very early stages. We know that Paul considers it a threat. And as we go through the book of Colossians, we will see him refuting some of the things that they would say that would definitely be against a Gnostic thought. We're not going to call it Gnosticism. We're just going to call it the Colossian heresy. Okay? The Colossian heresy. And, and realize that this had not been developed Fully. But that's enough. I mean, I'll stop there. I'll try to ask you any answer any questions. I'm not an expert on Gnosticism, nor do I want to be. Okay. Yes, Mark. Yeah. That was the issue in Galatia. You would take that. But what we have to realize is when when Galatia, when he uh, preached in Galatia wrote Galatians, those teachers had come from the outside. They were not there. They were come. And that's what we talked about last week in Romans, that he mentioned it might happen in Rome, but they hadn't gotten there yet. So we don't know. We can't definitively say Galatia was more Jewish, Colossia was more Gentile. We don't know for sure. Uh, more in Greek philosophy, it did not come out of Jerusalem and Jewish thought. It did not come out of Jewish thought. Another one? Yes? Well, you, you've got to realize that people in this world believe there was a Jesus, but they don't believe he was God. Isn't that part of it? Proof? I don't know what new age people are, and I don't like most of them because 
Well, they're into crystals and they're into contact with the dead and all that kind of thing. I don't know if Gnosticism tried to reach out to the dead. I don't know. But yeah, New Age. Nope. All right. So anything else? All right. Let's get to the book. Let's look at Colossians chapter one. All right. Paul, apostle of Christ Jesus through the will of God. Now, in other words, he's saying the only reason he's an apostle is that God called him to be. He is not an apostle by his own authority or his own doing. It is by the will of God and brother Timothy. Now, Timothy, we believe most people say Paul and Timothy wrote this letter. Timothy was in on it. Timothy is not called an apostle, or he wasn't, okay? He's called a brother. To those in, to those saints or holy ones in Colossae and faithful brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father. All right, now, so to Colossae, the saints, in other words, he's calling them saints, holy ones, because they believe they are faithful brothers in Christ. Now, grace to you and peace is Paul's common exhortation. He is saying that they have the grace because they believe in Jesus Christ, because it is the free gift of God, and they have received that free gift. Otherwise, he would not call them saints and faithful brothers. And peace from God, our Father. Peace comes from God. You cannot have peace without God making peace with you. And how did he make peace? Through Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Once peace is made between God and you, you may have peace with each other. Okay? The possibility is there. But peace is the gift from God. Okay, we give thanks to God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So he, he's mentioning the Trinity, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks is the same words where we get the word Eucharist, okay? Eucharisto. All right, so Jesus Christ always praying for you. Okay, now he says this in, in, in letters, other letters, but constantly praying for you, praying for your primarily that your faith in the gospel is established and grows. Okay, pray for you. All right. All right. Hearing your faith in Christ Jesus and that you have love for all 
the saints. All right. They have faith in Christ Jesus. That's the predominant thing. And they have love for all the saints. Those are the two things that are primary. You are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ, not by works. But works of love follow faith. When you believe in Jesus Christ, then God works love for others through you. Love for others through you. Okay? So this is the usual opening of the Apostle Paul as he begins letters. He always says some very positive things about them and his relationship with them, even though he's never met them. And he portrays all this in very positive words to open the letter. And he does this in just about every letter. There's a couple of exceptions, but this is how he begins his letters. He's, he's talking to them about their faith. Okay, verse 5. Through the hope, or by the hope, that is laid up for you in the heavens. Okay? In other words, the hope that you have, the hope that we have, is laid up and stored for us in heaven. It's there for you. Your eternal life is waiting for you. Your place in heaven is waiting for you. Your mansion in heaven is waiting for you. All the gifts that Jesus Christ has earned on the cross of Calvary are waiting for you. You have many, you will have more. And even the ones you have will be more fully come to reality in heaven. Okay? They're laid up for you in heaven. So the hope that you have all the things that you hope for are laid up for you in heaven. Okay? Now, in heaven, which you heard beforehand in the word, the truth of the gospel. Okay, so all these treasures you heard before. You heard before. And they came from the word of the truth of the gospel. That's loaded. Word, truth, gospel. Doesn't get any better. It's the best thing you can hear. All true because Jesus Christ stands behind every word of it. So, the hope that you have stored up for you in heaven is based on what you heard through the word of truth of the gospel. So he's building on this, which came near, near to you as also in the, in the world is bearing fruit and increasing as in you, okay? So in other words, this word of truth, the gospel is growing in you, it's bringing forth fruit in you, and it's increasing in you, not only you, but all the world. Okay. Now, 
if you're, I don't know which translations you may be following, but you're not going to be able to trans, uh, it's not going to be just like I'm reading. Okay. Bud can keep up. Because I'm reading out of the Greek. Okay. All right. So now we turn a cat. Let's see. Which you heard and know the grace of God in truth. Okay. So from that day on it, from that day, you've heard it and know it in the grace of God in truth. Okay. Now we come to that verse we read earlier. As you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant and faithful, our, who is faithful uh, and uh, a faithful servant of Christ. And he has, he has revealed to you or to us your love in the Spirit. All right. So this is his opening salvo. In other words, those in Colossae are people of God for the specific reason that God came to you by his grace in Jesus Christ. Through your faith in Jesus Christ, you are growing and increasing and bearing fruit. What you hope for is being kept for you in heaven. Being kept for you in heaven. The manifold blessings that Jesus Christ has won for you is being kept for you in heaven. You've learned to know this through Epaphras. And it's all there for you. And we know of your love for the saints, which shows your faith. And so Paul writes all this to them to begin his letter to them to frankly establish a relationship with them because he's never been there. They need to know that he cares about them before he begins to tell them things that are going to be difficult. Difficult. So that's the kickoff to the letter. Now, let's do a few more verses here. On account of this, from the first day we heard, we have not stopped praying for you. Okay, there it is again. And asking in order that you might be fulfilled in your knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, they want the, those in Colossae to be more fulfilled, to know more. And it's really, he's praying for them and seeking that they would have discernment. Discernment is a critical critical thing 
in this congregation and in our own faith. Because we're still confronted with things in our lives that we have to discern what to do. We have to discern what is of God and what is of this world. It's a discerning spirit. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's easy. But a discerning spirit is a good thing. What Paul is praying for them here is they will increase in wisdom according to what? His will. His will. Our discernment is not based on what we want or what we perceive as good and evil in this world. It's perceived based on God's word and what he says is good and evil. Not, we are not laws unto ourselves when we become Christian. We are still totally reliant on God's word. And that's what Paul is getting at here. What Paul is getting at here. And it's, that's what he wants them to have. In other words, as he's going to tell them about these false teachers, he wants them to discern what is of the will of God and what is of these false teachers. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good, we were, every good work and in the knowledge of God. Okay, that's what he wants to happen to them that they can bear fruit. In other words, they can grow in their faith. They can grow in their faith. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord means to walk in holiness and righteousness. And the only reason, the only way that is possible is through the power of the Holy Spirit who comes to us through the word and through the sacrament. 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Okay? So, in other words, he's preparing them to hear the truth and to discern between the truth and these other things they're hearing, they're going to need the power of God to do that. And they're going to need endurance. Just like we need endurance. I mean, you don't fight the Christian fight on Mondays. It's all week. All month. It's all year. It is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Okay? Not a sprint, a marathon. Yeah, Lori. Correct. Correct. 
this is what the church is to be about. Okay. And you are right where you need to be. Hearing the word, studying the word, seeking to grow in your faith. Seeking to grow in your faith. You are right where you ought to be at 9.30 on Sunday morning, okay? Because this is what God wants. This is what God wants for all the churches. What he's describing here is what he wants to happen in the heart of each Christian. Each Christian. Okay, notice how it says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. With joy. So when you're here at 9.30, you ready? Smile. Okay? Because God's happy with you. He forgives you. He loves you. And there's nothing better you could be doing right now than the joy of studying his word, hearing about his promises and what he has done for you. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You have been qualified by Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus had said, you're qualified for heaven. And it's not based on you. It's based on what Christ earned for you. It's based on what Christ gave you at your baptism. It's based on Christ, not you. And it's there for you. So therefore, you are a taker, a fellow saint, Through Jesus Christ. The inheritance is yours. And you can look around right here. I hope you like everybody because they're all going to heaven with you. There's going to be around from now on. Okay. But we're all been qualified by Jesus Christ. To have this inheritance. It's ours. It's ours in Christ. And what he's saying to the people in Colossae is that applies to you. Even though I haven't been there, you've heard the gospel from Epaphras. You've held it in your hearts. All this is yours. Yours. And then, 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, the word there for transfer is, it, it, is, a, it, it is an odd Greek word. There's all kinds of rendering of this word in translation. It means to move out of one place and move you to another place. 
So it means that you have been moved from the domain of darkness and moved into the domain of light. Transferred is a pretty good word. The transfer took place only through Jesus Christ. Okay? You're transferred into the kingdom of his son, his beloved son. So it's, it's, um, it's a word that's not very used. I'm not sure it's used anywhere else in the New Testament. Delivered us from the domain of darkness. In other words, the domain of Satan. You have been delivered out of this. You have been moved from the place of Satan to the place of the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, in whom we have redemption that he has bought us back by his own blood and sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Redeem means buy back, and we have the forgiveness of sins. Okay, The forgiveness of sins. None of that is true in the domain of darkness. It is by the power of God that this has happened to each and every one of us by the power of God. So all these verses are Paul telling us how blessed we are and how he wants to grow in our faith and be even more blessed. Be even more blessed. Comments? Questions? Yes, bud. Follow. Fit. Made you fit. Yeah, whipped you into shape. Hey, okay. he worked faith in your heart, and he did all the getting you in shape. You did nothing. Hey, okay. he got you into shape so you could be qualified to enter heaven. And it's only because of his action that that has occurred. Other thoughts? So the letter begins very positively. Very positively. Now, what we're going to talk about, remember, we don't meet next week. We do not meet next week. But the week after is when the true, it's the most exalted Christology, it's the most exalted description of Christ in the New Testament. No other words anywhere in the New Testament are better at describing the exaltation of Jesus Christ and what he's done. There, there's nothing like it. And that's why Colossians is considered such a, a book. Uh, a fabulous book because of its Christology and what we call cosmology. Cosmology is the relationship of Jesus Christ to all things created. To all things created. So in two weeks, that's what we'll start. All right, anything else? Any other comments? Have a blessed Thanksgiving.
and we will see you in two weeks.